Okay, peeps, time for another episode of State of Mind with me, Richard Sefton. Don't you just enjoy a good natter? Just having someone listen to you, being able to talk about whatever you want to, it's such a good pastime and it is so good for us. So go and take a seat, get yourself a cuppa, listen, and if you want to, chat along. I'm on Twitter at Richard Sefton3. Join me. Today's guest is a well-known broadcaster, novelist, television presenter and actor. I wake up with this person about once a week. I drink my coffee whilst they talk sense on Channel 5's Jeremy Vine show and I don't think I've ever disagreed with her points once. So that's why it's a great pleasure to welcome Gemma Forte to my virtual sofa. How are you, Gemma? I'm really well and amazed you've never disagreed with me because <laughs> most think people do at some point. <laughs> Just goes to show we're perfectly compatible. Like. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, when reading all about you, I saw that you um, you want you, you grew up wanting to write for Cosmopolitan and work in a shoe shop. So you're basically the British Carrie Bradshaw. Oh, yes. I've got to say, I still love clothes. I still love shoes. Don't want to work in Clark's anymore. It was the foot measuring devices. When I was a kid, I just thought they were great. Um, I've moved on. I've moved on since then. (laughs) And I think Cosmopolitan as well, as you know, the child of the 80s that I was, it was always like women that could wear red lipstick and looked quite powerful Mm. and looked quite sort of empowered. So I liked the idea of having shoulder pads and swanning about writing. Even, although I don't know if you can swan about and write at the same time, but I'd like to give it a go. Of course you can, especially in some special shoes that have been properly measured from Clark's. It's <laughs> exactly what you can do. Now, I watch um, Sex and the City and really want to be a writer. I'd never achieve it. You you have done. <laughs> you have done. Yeah, and, and the absolute irony as I'm saying that is that when I do write, which in fact I was writing earlier on today, I just look like a sort of dishevelled mess and that's fine I mean that's kind of a perk of the job you just roll out of bed and sit down and get on with it and um yeah that's the only thing you really need to have um in your arsenal is an ability to be able to just get on with it because books don't write themselves they take such a long time I've tried so many times and I just like hit a block after a few pages but um Mm. I do enjoy a good book so I can still enjoy that world. Um, as yeah. part of my intro, I described you as a TV presenter. Can we talk a little bit about Nickelodeon and Disney days? Oh, yeah. So back in the day, that's how I sort of began. And um, uh, I think I was quite young when I... Um, my feelings have maybe changed. But at the time, Davina McCall, who wasn't the big household name that she is now, mm-hmm. she used to do quite niche shows, things like Street Mate. And even before yeah. that, she had a show on MTV. And being a presenter wasn't a thing then. It wasn't something that anybody talked about, really. It didn't really exist as a job description. I remember thinking, oh, that looks amazing. She's out just sort of connecting with people and she's totally herself. And I thought, I'd like to do that. So many, many, many terrible VHS tapes later, because that's how long ago this was, uh, (laughs) which I sent out everywhere. I had a job and I used to, I don't know how I didn't get fired because I used all their jiffy bags, all their stationery, all their stamps. (laughs) Terrible. Basically theft. Um, Clarks, (laughs) are you listening, Clarks? It was Gemma. It wasn't Clarks, I was a PA somewhere. And um, yeah, and then one day I got a job at Disney Channel. So that was my, I I did a bit of Nickelodeon before then, you're right, the the Trocadero of all places. And and I'm really glad, I'm so lucky that we didn't, start in an era of YouTube and where everything is recorded for posterity. So you could have bad hair, you could be bad at your job, you could be abysmal and no one will ever know. 
so you could cut your teeth on the world of presenting and make your mistakes and learn um and yeah but disney channel wasn't was fantastic i got a contract there i was one of six we got picked and it just it was dream come true stuff because it was so fun so what age Um, was that then i was 23 Wow, so and young. So prior to that, I was working in production a lot. I did all sorts of things. I was like a runner, I was an AP, I was a first assistant director. I was, I worked, I really worked at so many different things. I was always ambitious and always trying different things. But what I really wanted to do was the presenting. Mm. So when I got that gig, I was made up. And it was full time, working with people that I still know to this day, like great, great friends. And for a young person, you know, you got to learn in a multi-camera situation. You had an earpiece, so you learned how to use open talk back. Mm-hmm. Um, you interviewed, you got sent away. Every week was different. They'd say, oh, your schedule this week is. And it'd be like, you're going to go and interview, um, you know, Mandy Moore. Then you're going to come back and you do three days in the studio. Then you're going to go off and you're going to play golf with Dane Bowers. Then you're going to do this. Then you're gonna... And it was just like, it was crazy. It was funny and it was crazy. That sounds crazy yeah. and funny and amazing. What's How was it? being well known at that at that age well again it was all really lovely and manageable there's no social media Mm. so we just come off air take our makeup off and go home on the bus or the train or really actually yeah or jump in a cab actually had enough money earning at that young age to sometimes get a black cab home if i felt like it Wow. which when i think now i wouldn't do that now (laughs) (laughs) um but mostly got the tube and then now and again, someone would go, oh, you know, it's Gemma from Disney, but not that often. You know, it was on a Sky Channel. And then I did some CBBS and stuff. And I don't know, it was, I, I, I think I would hate to be really famous now. I, I love the level that I've always been, which is just doing stuff that I enjoy. Very occasionally getting spotted, usually somewhere really random. Yeah. But ultimately able to go to Tesco's in my coat with my pyjamas underneath. And yet you were interviewing big names. Like you said, Dame Powers, Mandy Moore. I read Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. We had S Club, Five Steps. They were all in. Um, I remember NSYNC came over from the States. I interviewed Beyonce once. Oh, my God. Um, oh, yeah. It was. I was sent down to the Brits to do like the red carpet and I had a big microphone with Mickey Mouse on it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you but, and all the, but the really fun stuff was doing sketches in the studio. It was We were given so much freedom. We had no script. It was really anarchic. So they'd go, right, you've got four minutes, you're doing this game, off you go. But wow. to time, so all you'd get is you've got a minute left, you've got this, and counts, and basically people laughing in the gallery. And it was amazing freedom that you would never see again in television now. Do you miss I mean, those days? Well, no, because I'm one of these people that I tend to sort of be present or look forward and just be really grateful. for. I mean, like, it couldn't have gone on forever. Yeah. Um, I mean... Do I think about them sometimes and have nostalgia trips and sort of talk about them with my friends? Yes, but, you know, I understand that that was then and this is now. I mean, I'm far too old to be a Disney presenter now. (laughs) You say that, but you still don't look it. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) Now, I used to love Disney Channel and Nickelodeon was my thing. So um, uh, have you you got any, you say there's no sort of record. Have you got any record of you uh, on Nickelodeon. There's the odd bit. No, I actually haven't got any Nickelodeon. The only thing really? I've got, which a friend sends every Christmas, who was a Disney presenter with me, um, is um, a video where the four Disney presenters at the time, <laughs> we were sent to Switzerland to <laughs> film a pop video that was a pastiche of S Club 7. 
Oh, God. So it was the four of us actually singing. We recorded it in a studio. My friend James had written the track, and we were called D Club Four, I think. And, uh, <laughs> okay, Disney. Club. And it was <laughs> hilarious. So he sends that every Christmas, and I just look at it and think, wowzers. And is um, this on social media? Is this on YouTube? I, put it, I think I did put it up, and then just and people were like, what? What's that? You, you know. know what I'm doing at the end of this. Once but you know, I really it. like that as well. It's the same mm-hmm. as when I used to go clubbing. Mm. I, it was perfect because there weren't any phones. Yeah. And I find it really awful now when I look. I remember watching, because um, <clears throat> I love Calvin Harris's music, but yeah. watching a video of him DJing in Ibiza. And it was like, you know, a thousand zombies staring yeah. ahead, mm-hmm. watching him do nothing. That was not how it was in my day. The DJs were like gods of a type mm. with a small G, but you weren't looking at them. You were dancing and you were like just, you know, letting off steam and connecting with people and like going up and dancing with someone else. And then yeah, it was so fun. I just got and extreme jealousy of your 20s. <laughs> I know, I'm so lucky. And well, before I started at Disney, I was when I really got hairs on my chest in terms of clubbing. And then actually, <laughs> but you know, it was like the big rave scene and stuff. And it mm. was, that was absolutely incredible. And I feel so sorry for kids now that you go out and, you know, which I do too. You go on Instagram, you record a selfie, you take a picture of yourself in the club. Like how dreadful. Take all well, the phones away and the yeah. fun stuff happens, I tell you. Oh, well, exactly. And then, then there's no cloud of, 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 do I actually remember it or am I looking through a phone and remembering my video? It, it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like no, nobody's well, living in the moment. you're actually experiencing yeah. it. Yeah, you're actually feeling it. You're experiencing it. And when a mm. good tune drops in, your mm-hmm. first thought isn't, oh my God, I've got to film this. That's, yeah, I, I get that completely. And, then, and also there's the, you know, sometimes when you're walking somewhere you smell something and it'll take you back to a memory. I'm wondering if you would get that now, if you've experienced that memory through, through the screen on a phone. <laughs> would it click in your mind as much? Yeah, and, and whereas I can listen to music from that time and just be transported back. And I've got like snapshots in my head. I don't, and also I think there's a massive discrepancy between how you think you look when you're sweating in a club, like dancing up and down, and you think you're mm-hmm. like Queen Bee. I don't really want to watch that the next day. Thank you very much. No one <laughs> hey, needs to see that. I was Queen Bee. <laughs> G-A-Y, <laughs> the late 90s, early 2000s, I was Queen oh, Bee. brilliant. <laughs> I probably wasn't. No, in fact, I, I know I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking back, you've just made me look at myself. No, I wasn't. Um, So that was like a mammoth a time for you then you were sort of um where you wanted to be you were having fun and I like what you said that you don't look back and and miss it you look back with nostalgia my favorite saying is um I've forgotten now don't cry because it's over smile because it happened and that that kind of sounded like that to me what what you were saying yeah and I Um, think that that's also a a very important ingredient when you work in the business that I do mm. because after Disney I went on and did other stuff I, mean, I won't bore you with the whole cv but I, I was on to do you know new things different things new experiences and then that actually ended up bleeding into sort of like becoming a mum and writing and then more tv and whatever it is but i do know some people who have had an aspiration perhaps and it hasn't quite panned out and then that mm. could translate perhaps into bitterness or yeah. there's that slight alan partridge quality of hanging on to your glory days and they're long over <laughs> and you you don't want to become I, I don't ever want to become that person <laughs> doing, yeah like you said doing Disney Channel <laughs> yeah if I was still going on to everybody going when I do Disney people would be like oh my god get a grip 
I have just asked you to do that and I'm living for it. I'm loving it. Yeah, but hopefully that was more, I hope, please, that was more of a sort of recollection of a time. It was. Rather than... It was. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks. <laughs> please don't worry. How did, it, uh, how did it end? How did it come to an end? Well, for the last sort of two years that I was there, I was concurrently doing a few contracts for the BBC and there was one point where I was doing this show on a Sunday where I was a space captain and stuff and I basically didn't have, it was called Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero, yes. And I did three (laughs) series of that and I didn't have a day off for about 10 weeks and I remember it was fine because I was young and, you know, I purposely didn't drink any alcohol but it was like getting up at five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, doing that show, then straight into Disney on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, rehearsals on the Saturday. Mm. And then I got a show for Channel 4, which Disney were like, okay, she can do it. And I went off and did that. And it was just my agent and I just sort of thought, by then I was like 28. I was getting mm. engaged and it felt like the right time to to not get um, totally categorised as a children's presenter. Yeah. So yeah, it was time to spread my wings, and also yeah, so that, so it was kind of good. Um, yeah, you kind of evolved. Uh, I've kind of done it, yeah. yeah. And then actually, chrysalis. a few years later, it finished completely the channel anyway. So you know, this is the thing again in this business. I think that was probably the longest. Oh, in fact, no, I have a contract now that has lasted as long, which is I represent a brand on QVC. Mm. Other than that, in my 25 years whatever of working in this business contracts are like three days 10 weeks maybe six months maybe a week so you kind of get used to it and 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 that being a really long one you 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 kind of uh, yeah five years was extraordinary really Um, that's brilliant testament to a good presenter there obviously you were obviously good at playing (laughs) golf with dame bowers yeah yeah that was a funny day (laughs) bloody good singer though bloody good singer that guy (laughs) um after all that i read that you came to live down the road from me in real to do a panto i did how was that it was great it was another brilliant thing to say i've done basically my whole life is a bit of like a succession of funny stories Mm. and um nessa nessa from gavin and stacy succession of these stories yeah it is my I don't have a CV I've never really had that conventional kind of career path I still don't know what I'm doing next year um and but also punctuated within that I sort of it's important to get across that there's a lot the the hard work isn't the job the hard work is hustling making things happen re-evolving sort of trying your hand at different things Mm. weathering out the the bits that are quiet or dead or not happening because you've just had two kids and you look like the back end of a bus or whatever (laughs) you know that's where the real work comes you know and and all of that stuff but anyway yeah left Disney I was gonna I knew I was getting well I got married and I really wanted to have a a kid a a child a Mm. kid not a baby goat (laughs) I said to my um, partner my ex-husband I remember saying I've always wanted to do a panto. When I was at Disney, I got offered a panto every year. And I always said no, because we had so much work on at Disney over Christmas, it sort of seemed a bit pointless. Mm -hmm. So when I left, I said, it's now or never. Because when I have a child, I'm not going to go off for 10 weeks, Mm. you know? So I need to do it. So I said to my agent, right, is there an offer? And she said, well, she said, I can get you either something close to London that would be quite a small part, or you can be like a big part, but you go away, away. 
<laughs> and I was like, well, the panto is the experience, isn't it? You're in the theatre doing two shows a day. So it's not yeah. about where you are. I was like, oh, sign me up for the big part. If I'm going to do it, let's go for it. So I was jacking, jacking the beanstalk. Oh, I would absolutely. Uh, I'd love to be in a pantomime. I, I see and I appreciate <laughs> the hard work that it must be. But I would love it. It just looks like so much fun. Do you have as much fun in it as the audience do watching it was brilliant it was brilliant it was all a bit weird because i got married and then we went on this really luxury beautiful holiday to mauritius where Uh i've never since seen water like it it was turquoise Uh white sands absolutely incredible and then you went to real we had a winter (laughs) wedding yeah in november got back and then my husband drove me. It was like four or five hours. And I was like, oh. I said, well, they said they've put me in the nicest hotel in Real. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> Not <laughs> oh. to insult anyone in Real, but the nicest hotel no, in Real. No, you know, <laughs> listen, my, my granddad came from Flandidno, right? Okay, not too far no, down. No, he did. Well, that's an absolute lie. He came from a small village in Italy. But at a certain point when I was a kid, he lived in Flandidno. So I yeah. know how beautiful North Wales is mm. and South Wales as well. Beautiful country. But real, I'm just going to be honest, it's not like the best part, but... <laughs> Isolating I... so many people here. <laughs> Have you got a big listenership in Oh, there? in real, yeah, Look, that's where they all listen. Real. I've got great affection for it. I stayed, but can I just say, like, they were like, it's the nicest hotel in real, and then I had to keep my milk on the window ledge because there wasn't a fridge. <laughs> and you had to keep your eyes on it at all times. Not sorry, funny, sorry, real. lodge. A travel lodge has a small fridge. <laughs> I don't want to be in a pantomime anymore. <laughs> uh, so, but you know what? Also, and so then I remember I went wandering around, and then it was extraordinary as well. The theatre, I'd sort of imagined this beautiful theatre with sort of red velvet seats, and in fact, mm. the theatre was in a leisure centre. It was like a, a, a theatre disguised as a leisure centre. But it was enormous, huge, really? vast thing. So it was fun because it was packed twice a day and the drinking was revolting i mean we <laughs> would go back to my hotel the grange by the way big shout out to uh, and uh, do karaoke gone. every night and so what happens in panto is by the end of the season every cast member basically has tonsillitis and it's like <laughs> <gasps> the singing gets dodgier and dodgier and dodgier <laughs> That was my experience. And I did some terrible renditions of various pop tunes, really strangled. So I did um, The Tide is High, but the Atomic Kitten version. Okay, because why not? That was when I like came on and sung to the villagers. Yeah. And then there were other panto sort of cliches, like there was a man from the bill in the panto that I was in. So really? Things that, yeah, it's like the, the bill. Yeah, yeah, there has yeah, to be someone from the bill in yeah. every panto. Mm-hmm. In every um, programme as well. Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. I loved it. And, and yeah. It was great. The North Sea crashing down outside the theatre. <laughs> I don't think it would have been the North Sea there on that side of the country, though, would it? <laughs> would it not? I don't know. I'm terrible at What would it what be? Is... It would be the what Irish the Sea, I suppose. Is it the Irish Sea? Either I think way, so. Isn't that bad? It's only down the road. In a hurry. <laughs> no. I remember the waves. I was like looking out of the theatre window going, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, take me back to Mauritius. <laughs> Yeah, from Mauritius to real in a matter of weeks. It's like a title for a book. There you go. There's your next one. Yeah. <laughs> Royalties. No, you've taken me full circle now. I now, after the drinking and all that, I kind of want to be in a panto again. And okay. to meet June Ackland from The Bill. Was that her name? Yeah. Sergeant June Ackland. It was, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Mem- mem- memory lane. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've got a head full of mental knowledge that I don't need to know about. Um, so, how? W- so, you were on the road. Was it lonely? Uh, you, you say that you all came back for drinks and all that, but was it lonely? No, 
Are no. you the type of person to get lonely? No. Well, you didn't have a chance to be lonely because you were either in rehearsals, in the theatre or with people. Mm -hmm. And then my husband, it was really funny because I hadn't seen him for weeks and obviously we're sort of super loved up, just got married. Mm -hmm. He came down for Christmas Day and oh. I had such a small window because you do two shows on Christmas Eve and you do two shows on Boxing Day. Mm. So he came down to see the second show on the Christmas Eve and then mm. we had Christmas Day together when I was basically asleep. And then, <laughs> and then off he went again, which is fine. You know, we'd both been together for years as well. And he was all, that's one of the reasons I loved him is we were always supportive of each other's endeavors, you know, just going, yeah, go and do this, it's great. Um, but I remember he came down and he was wearing a sort of raincoat thing. And then he was sitting in the, the theater on his own on Christmas Eve. And he said he suddenly felt incredibly self-conscious that he was sat there without any children. <laughs> And this woman had like a small child next to him and he wears glasses, a small child next to him. And then a teenager who was really, really surly and like giving him evil looks. And at a certain point, the mum picked up the small child and put it on her lap. And he was like, he just said he was desperate to go. I'm with the idiot who's on stage singing badly. And I can't quite believe I've married Jack, but I have. <laughs> hey, the tide is high. The tide is high. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was that panto tick life experience tick done can say i've done it and um, not to, not to lower the mood but marriage tick uh you yeah, said x yeah. but you yeah, also said yeah, how much you loved each other oh yeah we had a really healthy great relationship for many years until it wasn't but we yeah i met him when i was 23 in fact so for the whole time okay. I, was, I was at disney and then married him when i was sort of 28 29 he's 10 years older than me mm. two kids and um yeah and then it you know it, it just it, i think i changed we changed it went a bit off the boil shall we say but mm -hmm. what i will say is painful horrible thing divorce and terrifying oh. to make the decision to do it yeah but that said this was now eight years ago we have such a respectful relationship he is the person, other than my kids, I've seen most in lockdown because we've all eaten together once a week throughout. That's you know, gorgeous. Because we, we share the kids. God, it's, I mean, it's like 50-50 now. I used to have mm. them a bit more, but it's just the way it's worked over the years. He's an amazing dad. And, you know, what I will say to people is, you know, look, of course you try and get married and you think it's going to be for life, but the biggest commitment you'd ever make with anybody is having a child because Absolutely. you are going to know each other through that. If you don't have kids, you could split up and, and feasibly never see each other ever again. Yeah. But um, not when you've got children. And so I'd, I'd call him a friend. I care about him a lot, but anyway, so, but I'm glad I'm not married to him, if that makes sense. It's absolutely, it's, it's actually, the way that you just described that is gorgeous. It just sounds lovely. Um, if if more people could be like that, what a nice world, you know, it would be. Yeah, you know. he, I mean, it's, t it's taken a bit of time because also he's been really dignified. Like half the credit has to go to him because it takes mm -hmm. two. And he um, has always been very sort of dignified. And you know, we've never done that thing where we sort of slug each other off to the kids or anything like that. And yeah, and I'm, yeah, I'm grateful. Like they've got such a good dad. So that is that. But actually marriage tick. Yeah, I don't think I'd do it again. What's the point? Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah kind uh, of a uh, degrades love does it <laughs> well i don't know it's really uh, funny enough i was on gmb doing this entire debate i know that's what i was that's what i was nodding to then <laughs> <laughs> i just think 
it's, Do my research. it's personal no judgment do what you need to do in life but yeah for me i did get married and sort of took the promises seriously mm. i.e this is it and i really did believe that for a long time but then it wasn't so i broke the promises so then mm. i was like well if you made the promises then it's like for better for worse if you really mean it you stay in it when it's rubbish yeah. and you see it out which mm -hmm. some people do some people loathe each other in their marriages and just have yeah. simmering resentment their entire lives or just sort of bleh, a sort of lack of physical anything but they get on with it and mm -hmm. that wasn't for me so i so not that i'm saying that's what we were but you know but but we bailed at the right time sounds like so therefore would i stand and make the promises again i think i'd feel like a bit of a div yeah well i don't know how anyone affords to get married more than once <laughs> <laughs> i sit there here thinking that. i would love to get married to my partner but how would we afford that's it the once <laughs> Well, you can do it in a very small way or you, yeah, or you go. But all of that said, I also think it's really important to say never say never because I don't yeah. know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. You don't know what's around yeah. the corner, do you? Normally you're, you're blindsided by You don't by know something. who's around the corner, Richard. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> On that note, tell us about your mm. latest novel. Oh, be careful what you swipe for. Yes. That was, um, that was really, really professionally done then, wasn't it? It was. That was wow. a good segue. I like that. I like that segue. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm really, really proud of this book. It's um, at the heart of it is a woman who kind of wants what everybody else wants if you're sort of going by society's dictation, if you like. So I, she wants mm -hmm. to meet someone. She wants to have kids. She wants to settle down. But she's approaching 40 her career's all going really well, that side of her life, not so much. So she does the online dating thing. Um, there's some comedy in there. There's some other stuff. And then she meets someone and it's great. And she's like, oh, fantastic. And they're together about nine months. And then mm -hmm. one day it's sort of as simple as, oh, are you coming around later? Yeah, I'll come around. Okay, what time? Oh, I might be a bit late. Blah, 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 blah. He goes off. She's just out of the shower, doesn't think much of it. And she never sees him again. So Ooh. then it kind of turns into a bit of a mystery. Um, and then she really, really spirals um, in terms of her mental health because suddenly every area of her life implodes in lots of different ways that all happen at the same time. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. Because mm -hmm. um, I've always seen life, which sounds a bit strange, maybe it's because I'm half Italian, but like a pizza. And <laughs> if you have, your life is like made up of slices I didn't see and that on coming. <laughs> Life is a pizza. <laughs> so you've got a slice of family, a slice of work. You've mm. got your friends. You've got your, your, if you like, your hobbies and your, your own stuff. You've got money. You've got, so if you take all of those slices that make us a whole person and, and relationships, and then if one of them is bad, i.e. there's something afoot in your family that's sort of not good or you're struggling for, with work, but if everything else is okay, you're kind of all right. But I think that all of us are vulnerable if every single slice mm. goes to shit at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens to her. We have backups. What sort of research did you have to do then? Did you have to get on the dating apps? <laughs> well, I, 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 I've been on the dating apps loads, but not for research, but because I was trying to find people. And um, I had one relationship. That's what I always three, say. Three years as a result of a dating app. So okay. it can work. And he was, he was great, you know, until... He wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, and, I, and then I've sort of also met someone else that was like 
it was really worth meeting him. We had loads of fun. It was never going to be a keeper keeper. So like I'm not anti-dating apps, but I also mm. wanted to explore how um, in terms of everything that comes with phones, i.e. social media and dating apps and all mm. of these things, like that image that we project is so often at odds with reality. And so I Absolutely. believe that if you're in a really good place, in yourself all of these things can be a great positive for mm -hmm. so many reasons but if you're not they can just contribute to your you know mm. to feeling like shit really um yeah it's hard because it is a way of reaching out it's a way of of, uh, of being with other people however i always think if you're if you're feeling low put down your phone Get rid oh, of those social yeah, media because the worst thing that we do, human nature, is compare. Yes, there's a great Mark Twain quote. Comparison is the death of joy. Mm. Well, there you it's go. So true. Um, and so, yeah, this girl really suffers. And actually, at the moment, I'm really off dating apps. And as you say, I've decided that at the moment it's not doing me any good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've deleted them all. You know, I think it's so important to listen to your own self sometimes that's brilliant self-awareness yeah brilliant self-awareness though it's mm. yeah you have to listen to yourself you have to and, and too many people mm. oh, they don't and, and you see lots of people going on social media to act out their uh i want to say negative emotions i don't think any emotion is negative as such but uh, you know to, to to throw the anger at the world and i just think oh put down your phone cuddle yourself mm. yeah i see i have really mixed um feelings about that because i quite like expressing anger on twitter sometimes oh on twitter i do it all the time <laughs> i am one of the people that contributes to that cesspit now it's never aimed at any individual necessarily but mm -hmm. man alive some of the stuff that happens it's like if for me where else do i go with this stuff i mean i'm talking politics now yeah um and sometimes i feel better like sort of better out than in you know, if you're raging about nurses and, and uh, all the mm -hmm. NHS workers not getting a pay rise, I don't know. Somehow, if you could just rah into the ether, mm. uh, and then I can put my phone down and go to the shops. Yeah, see, I'm I'm kind of if I'm in a good going back to the mood situation. If I'm feeling mm. good about the world, everything's fine, uh, everything's going going along how I want it to. If I go on Twitter, I can rant. Uh, rant is like the best of them and 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 rant and rave and mm. i won't i won't suffer any any sort of side effects as it were yeah. if if i'm in a if i'm in a low mood or i'm suffering something away from social media you know just in my in my in my life just in my life that sounds wrong if i'm suffering something in my life and i put a tweet out i then spend a lot of time worrying oh god what's what are people going to read into that um mm. uh is somebody going to be offended that i that you know that I, and I spent and it, it depends on my mood I've, I've only worked that out recently <laughs> mm. there are lots of micro decisions that need to take place before you send a tweet and that's mm. for sure and yeah. i think i've got i think gosh again never say never you've got to be so careful quite astute at judging them so for instance especially when you do other work or you're looking after a company or something, you've got to be careful about what you say, you know, you can't. And I certainly never comment on people's appearance or, I mean, I just that, I wouldn't do that anyway. Mm -hmm. That isn't a problem. But yeah, Not you've even... got to be careful. You have got to be careful. And it's the main thing I'm always imposing upon my children is that every single thing that you put out on the internet, be it a photograph or an opinion, is there forever. And you just watch it, you know? And I think if you just go by the rule of, I would say this to this person's face mm. 
And, you know, if I yeah. was unfortunate Good enough room. to bump into Boris Johnson, which I'd rather <laughs> not, I absolutely the things that I express on Twitter, I would say to his face. I criticise policy. I criticise action. I criticise, you know, l laws that are being made or mm -hmm. stuff that is happening or things that people might, that are doing that I disagree with because I think they're immoral or wrong or the wrong approach. Nice. Because I care about, it's really, really hard to explain, but I just kind of have these invisible rules in my head that mm -hmm. I just, it, it it's not going to change the world if you put a smart suit on, but the police <clears throat> bill will. Yeah. Oh God, don't get me on the police bill. Oh, that's mm. made me so Seriously. sad And then also the, the other thing is, of course, is that, um, and then I, if, but if ever I do put a, an opinion out about somebody's hair or something like that, it will be positive. So I would write something like, it's a bit like books as well. Yeah. I, I occasionally will review a book on Instagram, for instance, um, mm. if I have loved it so much and then I want to, I would like people to find it because I feel like I'm doing them a favour, but there might be another 15 books that I've read that are all right. They're three star, four star, and I just don't bother saying anything about them. Mm. So you'd never give a bad review? No. No. Okay, that's nice. I like that. I like that. Um, so with writing your own novels, your own books, what do you get out of writing? Except for mortgage payments, <laughs> you know. Well, you say that. It's <coughs> funny. Like, it's a ridiculous <coughs> thing to do. The money probably is less than when I started in some ways because really? there was this period in, in publishing which was quite halcyon. I, I and so going back now, if you go to like Bridget Jones days, Bridget Jones sort of happened and then around that time publishers were handing out six figure advances to all sorts of rubbish you know wow. really banal quite bad books and chiclet was coined and and it was selling in the bucket load but then what they would do is out of those hundred thousand advances maybe four of them would be a huge hit and then there was a lot that was like a glut of, of books then they really whittled it down and were like what are we doing advances got a lot smaller but were still super healthy that's kind of where I entered the scene. Mm. So you could certainly get enough of them in advance that you could go, all right, then they want book two. It's going to take about a year because you'd maybe do a first draft in about six months and then mm. you have to do another draft and a copy edit. So I can just about afford to do that and not have to worry too much about other work. Okay. Although, right? Now, it's like, uh, unless you're one of, you know, unless you're... Uh, you JK. Know, in, in, in yeah, the sort of five, three percent of writers, you're looking at you know you could get a debut and they might have given them three grand, mm. and that debut might have taken them two years, but mm. they'll say well if it does well you get royalties, but then if the publisher doesn't sell it in and they don't have as much impetus because they're not going to lose a massive amount then that's it. Yeah. So. I have been really fortunate, but I've had two very well-published books, two terrible experiences, which, ugh, I, oh, I won't moan on here, but like, it's a tough, tough industry. And then, you know, I've been given two jackets that I hate, two titles forced upon me that I didn't like. One of them not sold in anywhere because they were being taken over by another big publisher. And so they just sort of left my book, which was mm -hmm. sold as destroyed. So really good. Um, and then, but you know, then one of them's been optioned, was, it hasn't been made and it won't be made, but it was optioned by Working Title. I've sold one in America. I've got like multi-languages translated and 
So I've had oh. success, but it's not as easy as people think. And writing the book itself, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with it now because I'm, I'm, I'm 47 now and I'm quite tired, I think. Yeah. I, you know, to a certain extent, um, you lose a bit of that hunger that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with my fifth book, Be Careful What You Swipe For, that I think I decided to do it myself and it was quite liberating. So I self-published that one. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was really interesting because I basically had this thing. It was the middle of the night, and I thought it was quite a passionate feeling. I thought if someone makes me change my title, I want to kill them. <laughs> it's a bloody good title. <laughs> be careful what you swipe for. And I thought I cannot be in a meeting where someone says to me, "Well, we thought we'd call it. Will you or won't you? And will you see the day?" Sorry, sorry, what? Well, yes, we thought. Will you? Sorry, what is that? I mean, I had one book. <laughs> And they made me, I had so many ideas for the title. Yeah. And I've got the rights back now and I'm going to be re-releasing it soon. Mm. And I've got a great title for it. They, uh... So my first title was The Relative Stranger. Mm-hmm. Then my second title, what else did I decide to call it? It was Tough Love. They were like, no, 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 no. We've got a title. We're going to call it When I Met You. That's, uh, that, that seems strange. For somebody that's not in that world, that seems very strange that somebody can take your your well, you your see, thoughts they can. you've signed your life away you've yeah. got an advance and it's the one bit i think now if you've got this i find to be true the most talented people that i've met in the creative industries mm. are much better at going yeah that's great do you want me to change any of it no do you know what i like it as it is or just this small thing okay fantastic those people when you meet them and they have confidence and belief mm. that they can understand a good idea that's because they're talented. It's the ones who don't know what they think and then they try to force their rubbish ideas on you. Oh, God, I sound so moany, but it's true. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, Listen, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> Mo- moan away. So there you go. So, yeah, anyway, that's that. I don't know how I got on that rant. But um... <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was good. Yeah. You should. I just wish you'd finished it with another rendition of The Tide is High, but it was It was. good. It's going along the right way. And I should say as a disclaimer, there are some brilliant people in publishing. Mm. And there are, you know, just as there are brilliant people in TV, but there are also loads of numpties, and that's just the way the world is. Mm. And so I think as you get older, it's really important to work with people that you really like. And if you can't find those people, then just do it yourself. Do you want to name any of the numpties? They might live in real. No, I, no, I don't. No, don't want to isolate anyone else. No, mm, no. it's probably for the best. So, when you're actually the writing process itself, are you able to get into I don't know a meditative state, or, or do you get anything? Do you walk away feeling ah? You know, do you get anything? Your emotions it, out, or the, the the hardest part of writing a book is having the idea because the idea has to consume you or you won't write it mm-hmm. you know and then when I say idea it's got to be so I've got the germ of an idea for another book or script or something at the moment and it is so good and it's so big and it's such a big hook and it's so commercial but I haven't got anywhere near knowing how this germ of an idea actually works <laughs> and until you have that moment you shouldn't even sit down because you sort of need to know where you're heading when you start. And then if you've got that feeling, it's a feeling more than anything else, then you'll write the book. You'll get there somehow. Uh, that You know, just that that 
it's that talk of creativity kind of feeds my soul just to listen to it it's like makes me go oh that's that's amazing <laughs> do you know and what I mean I have like, moments where it's like a problem that needs to be solved often because you've got these characters you know these things are happening and then you've got this sort of plot point and then you're like but then if that happened would that person really say that and how would they feel and is that authentic because and sometimes you need to just walk away and then I'll go for a walk and sort of mutter like a mad woman and it's like solving <laughs> a problem and then some days you have really fantastic days and then other days you're like I can't do this anymore and you need to have two weeks off mm. yeah Oh, wow. But these okay. are all things that come with experiences. So it's sort of interesting. I kind of don't want to write another one, but I know I will. Oh, okay. So it's like... I sort of can't be bothered. Because <laughs> I know how much time it will take. And I know I have to go to that mad place in my head. But That, that mad place seems to seems to be a place where a lot of people want to want you to go, though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, a, it's immensely satisfying when it's done. I'll bet. Have you got the copies of um, the foreign language ones? Yeah. Can, yeah can you can you read them or, or is it just to no. say, wow, look at that in Arabic no, or whatever it is? Groovy. <laughs> I've got this um, little shelf. Um, <clears throat> my bedroom's in the loft and there's a little stairway on the way up, obviously, with, and I've put a shelf <laughs> there. So it just says Gemma Forte and all them, but it's like, <laughs> and digotten, digucci, the I don't speak any foreign languages, so I'm just like, oh, that's nice. You do now. <laughs> the titles of your books. <laughs> you are basically yeah. a multilinguist. <laughs> yeah, but it's really nice. It's really nice scene. And then occasionally on Instagram, I'll get like tagged in a post in Turkey or tagged in a post and someone's like photographed my book. And I just think they could be writing, this is the biggest load of oh, crap I've ever, I've ever read. But then I just like oh, it anyway. Just give it a like, move on. <laughs> just give it a like. Yeah. Let, it, let it sink into your head as a positive. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's brilliant. what i should do when i come off telly as well and go on twitter is like put it in a foreign language yeah. so oh, if, yes. you know if dave in whatever thinks that i'm at this that or the other and whatever it's always dave bloody dave <laughs> there were some lovely daves i know some lovely daves on twitter there the are. odd dave and then this yeah and then there's dave dave in real dave who, lives, love, who no, works at the grange hotel in real <laughs> Ten weeks of my life in real, they were good, happy times. And I'll tell you what Ten the Grange weeks. did. They did a very nice roast. Really? And, yeah, they did, which I had every Sunday. Sunday was our only day off. And then they'd had, wait for it, a dessert trolley. Mm. I bet they don't have that anymore. It was very acorn antique. I was just going to say, very Victoria would that. I, I, <laughs> I, I want to go there now. <laughs> and they had lots of desserts that had synthetic, not real cream on, and I quite liked. Them. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> quite my, nice. My mum makes the most amazing cakes, and when she makes it with fresh cream, I'm like, oh, where's the flavour? <laughs> Where's that sort of spongy cream? I like that. <laughs> yeah. Fill me full of chemicals, please, Mum. <laughs> I prefer that. Um, so you've got two teenagers now? I have, yeah. They're well, brilliant. I read They're that so you coach nice. teenagers. Um, I have coached teenagers in the How past, did? What yeah. was that? What was that sort of process? That came about. I was sort of freshly divorced and I was working at a shopping channel and doing other bits and pieces. And then the shopping channel I was at went just, um, what? what's the word for it? failed okay went down the toilet <laughs> yeah basically I was out of work suddenly and I was like oh my god and I was new newly single mum and mm. I'm sort of resurrecting my career a bit because they were quite small they're what are they now 14 and 16 mm -hmm. and when I split up my husband they were like four and six or something 
so it was quite a quite a scary time mm. and uh so i had to generate loads of work and just take whatever so at one point i was selling cruises in peterborough on, on ideal world and i was do, like doing corporate videos if i could get them and yeah it wasn't like the, my peak days shall we say and then I was like, I need to be a bit more inventive than this. I need to do other things. And I think I just got a, got my third book away as well. But yeah, again, the advance wasn't massive. And then I saw this advert saying, can you present? You know, would you be interested in, uh, you know, teaching? And I just thought, wow, that could be another string, string to, your bow. to my bow. And then the best thing about it, and I also thought really, really interesting. So it was this company that would go into schools mm all over mainly London and Greater London, but sometimes further afield as they were expanding and do these Real. huge workshops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> huge workshops in to secondary school kids. Mm. And they were things like mindset, things like how to be successful, but, but really interesting. And the two guys that ran the company, one of them was ex-army and then had done X, Y and Z. And the other one was a top, top, top sports psychologist working with premier league footballers he was so fascinating and top of his game and i got all this training huh? wow. which was amazing and it was so interesting and the pay was pretty dismal and i you know and it was i was very scared because i had to set up all the tech in the schools that was horrific <laughs> i used to be like have you got an it person but and then of course standing in front of loads of kids i was very good at actually mm -hmm. and well... it was um because you know i've I'm a presenter but more than yeah. that I think they quite responded because I'd go in and I was so unteachery so if yeah. they were annoying me I'd be like will you shut up you're really doing my head in they'd be like Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> which the teacher that was looking on would be look a bit like you're not supposed to speak to them like that and I'd be like honestly <laughs> if you're not into just get out I can't be bothered with you and I, but it kind of worked <laughs> yeah and Love and that. then occasionally you'd see one kid who clearly hadn't slept for about two weeks and everything. And you would poke, poke around and ask questions and you'd find out they were going to bed at like 2.30 every night in the morning. Yeah. And no one to tell them to go to bed. Loads of electronics in their room, this and that and the other. So I used mm. to go and like be really hardcore with them and I'd go, look, basically you're brain damaged. And they'd be like, what? And I'd go, you are. And you'd be telling them why at that age they need nine and a half hours sleep a night, mm. but not in a naggy way, in a this is what's happening to your... Yeah. Brain. It genuinely isn't too harsh to say that. But because to an extent being a teacher you've got to be more professional than that or not professional but perhaps as a way Reserved. of saying things. And I don't know, I just found that I was feeding in and then by the end I remember it was so rewarding. That boy came up and sort of shuffled about all a bit embarrassed and everyone had gone out and he came out and he went, Thank you, I'm gonna try and go to bed early tonight. Oh. And I, I, and then I'd go home weeping, you see, depending oh, on the time. moments like cry. that. <laughs> yeah, and then there were other times, <laughs> and then there were other times I would think, I hate them all, I don't want to do this ever again. Mm. But I say... got so much from that, and I kind of got really, you know, and it was great as well, because they'd asked me to do it as and when, so if I did have other TV stuff happening or whatever, I didn't have to do it, but it was a very rewarding thing and perhaps the first time I've ever done something in my career that was a bit more vocational and made me feel like a better person because let's face it the rest of the stuff I do doesn't really um, well I mean no. entertaining the troops as it were no <laughs> and not no, you know just... the kids 
Yeah, no, as a presenter, as a, really. you know, as, no. a, as a Disney presenter. Yeah, but no, you would have brought joy think, to know, so many people. Well, yeah, but I've never seen. I'm not like Dame Vera Lynn. No, I mean it's just like I felt to just me lucky, you are. To, lucky to thank you, Johnny, <laughs> lucky to be doing it. And like from a selfish point of view, I had great fun. Whereas yeah. I think that going into schools like that, I really understood what teachers get out of their jobs and more nurturing mm. characters than myself. And you go into those professions that are about giving. And I had an insight into that. And I have the utmost respect for teachers and hate the way they get maligned in our society, which is an absolute side effect. Ever since Gove was education secretary, the world's second worst education Uh. secretary after Williamson. And all that stuff where he, you know, the, the, the press went in on them as if teachers wanting better pay was made them bad people. Anyway, I could yeah. go on. Well, and I think you see, you see, the thing is what you see in these schools as well is that teaching, if you, teaching is the most important job in society because, you know, if you get a good teacher that can change one kid's life and inspire them, that might be more than they're getting anywhere else and it might change their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so you've got to attract great people and you have yeah. to make it a profession that, that back in the day was the most respected middle class profession. In fact, being middle class that people are very snotty about and say it means you love hummus. It's rubbish. Yeah. Being middle class was like aspiring to be a teacher or a police officer or a nurse or a thing. Anyway, just now they don't get middle class wages. Yeah, true. And they yeah, and they get criticised all through this lockdown even though they've worked and worked and worked and yeah, yeah I have yeah, quite a few amazing. friends that teach and you see in these um, schools as well how I mean not all of them you can get the odd teacher who's a right plonker but <laughs> on the whole you know how hard they work and how much they care about their kids yeah I, I remember my, my good teachers um, and always will Mrs Simmons um, Kim who's That's a good friend of mine and um, oh, really? you know she's my sociology teacher and she's a an amazing you know someone that will be in my life forever um but the memory of those good teachers will always be in my head forever mrs simmons was my drama teacher and i will always hold a piece of my heart for her good old Um, mrs simmons exactly good old jenny simmons it feels weird calling them a first name though did you go by first name when you were working with the the kids yes i did yeah And (laughs) and 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 one of the things you learn when you're a presenter is that if you walk into a room anywhere and you're talking to a group of people whether it's a presentation at work Mm. or coaching or whatever it is the first thing you need to do is identify who you are and why you're there so that yeah. people listen and to, not enough people do that they walk in and just go hello right and they just start so i'd go hi right i'm Gemma. this is who i am i've got two kids but i also do x y and z and so that's why i'm here to talk to you today and then they go oh, okay <laughs> but also i took from that i ended up i've got a little company sideline myself my own coaching company now and i i uh it's it's sort of a sideline, but I've done lots of interesting things through it. So I specifically tend to help people who are getting ready to go on telly and they've never done it before. Mm. But I also helped one girl, for instance, overcome nerves. And I get really interesting people and I feel qualified to do it, not just because of my experience now, but because of the training that I got from doing that. Yeah. So understanding yeah. things and understanding, like, physiologically how your body works and how your brain works and things like that so it was really it was great it was another another tickety tick <laughs> yeah yeah you, you tick so many boxes <laughs> yes, it's I okay. like it I just I just do think life should be just a series of experiences and 
and to just exploit opportunities and you never mm -hmm. know at the time as well you might be doing something thinking oh, I never thought I'd be doing this or why am I doing this and then years later you're like oh that's why I did that <laughs> it's it just sounds um like you're living your life you know how I suppose we all have different ideas of what it means to live your life, but your idea sounds quite close to mine. <laughs> Take as many yeah, opportunities oh, as nice. you can. Uh, yeah. If you don't want to follow the road, this road, then don't. Follow all of those little yes. paths going off everywhere else and see where they lead to. I've always been really aware of how short life is. I haven't needed some big, terrible life experience thing to happen to me to, to teach me that either. I've mm. always been aware of my mortality and wanted to cram as much as possible in mm. and in fact I was talking to someone recently who's Catholic and he's sort of exploring becoming potentially a priest okay. and in order to look at that he's talking about stripping so much stuff out of his life lots of that stuff being pleasurable things yeah like masturbation or oh, no. watching sport or <laughs> no. social media and all sort of things like that. And, and, and I could, and listen, I, full respect, and, but I was just like, we are poles apart. Yeah. In, 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 you know, and he is, I, I'm not saying that I'm better at all, and I'm not saying I don't respect his faith, but he's working towards pleasing God. Yeah. In the hope and, and, and sacrificing stuff so that when he gets to the end, he can go to a good place. I mean, you know, personally, I don't believe in God. And mm. secondly, I, I'm the opposite. I will do every pleasurable, brilliant thing as long as it's not hurting anybody mm -hmm. as much as I can. And then I'll die and I think I'll just be asleep. So I don't know if I've ever classed watching sport as pleasurable. <laughs> you saying that and thinking yeah i'll give up that that's what i'll give up for lent i can do that <laughs> i i could manage I, I i i love encouraging my kids to watch sport and i like things like the olympics or when england oh, I love the olympic. football or scotland or yeah but i'm not really bothered no i'm i'm with you on that i like watching england play um i suppose living in wales i should like watching wales play do they even have a side that sounds really do you watch bad, rugby it? do you watch welsh rugby only for the men no, no, I, no I don't yeah, see I've got a, a female friend who is so into rugby like she genuinely loves it she's never happier than when she's at Twickenham I mean that's my idea of hell but she's like but then there's loads of men Jen and I'm like mm, maybe yeah. I'll go yeah see I'd, I'd, I'd be in it for that I'd sign up for that so long as there was an outcome you know a date or something <laughs> <laughs> then I'm into rugby yeah yeah. yeah can I hold your ball <laughs> <laughs> no for me it's I would say my biggest thing is music um that, that that's my biggest pleasure uh, I could never I don't think I could ever give up music um mm. so if I was in that position I would have to say I'm very sorry God but I can't sorry um have you found that a difficult part of lockdown I not being somewhere where you can dance, listen to music, experience music, because I have. Yes, absolutely. I'm in a band. I'm a singer in a band, and we've not, oh. we've now not seen each other for, well, twelve months. Our last gig was March last year, and God. that has been horrendous. And especially mm. for our drummer, I know that he suffered really badly. I mean, he can't even get out the. He's actually recently bought himself some quieter electric drums, so he can actually bang the, where he lives. But before then, you know. You know, the guitar player Bernie can practice on his guitar. Bass player David can practice on his bass. I can sing, but to like get out a whole drum kit and 
you know not get complaints off the neighbors must have been really hard mm. and but yeah also i've really missed going out and i'm not somebody that used to go out all the time maybe once or twice a year because when i was gigging that was a night out for me um mm. but yes i've, I've massively missed going to see you know beverly knight my favorite singer or, or or i went to see the spice girls in 2019 live gigs are amazing as well and, and i can't mm. go to them yes it's affected me is the answer <laughs> yeah yeah what sort of music are you into I know you mentioned mm. DJs before. Yeah, really eclectic mix, and it would depend on what I was doing, whether I was cooking the Sunday lunch or leaping up and down. To leap up <laughs> and down, I love a bit of house music. I really do. Um, As in, like, jump around. <laughs> That's not like, like I tech. I'm not into techno. I'm not into R&B. I can tell you what I'm not into. I'm not into, like, grime. I'm not into it. But I love, like, quite... But then, like, a huge mixture of things. I'll go and see so many different people in concert. Um mm. I love no. a playlist. I love making playlists. <laughs> really? And yeah, no, yeah. If, I, if I'm sat in the hot tub, which is my new guilty pleasure, then if you shuffle the songs on my phone, you'd get totally different things. Dolly Parton yeah. followed by Anastasia, followed by Beyonce, maybe. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not a massive fan of Beyonce. I prefer Destiny's Child, I have to say. Unpopular opinion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, all these things to get us through. Music for me, um, mm. definitely definitely um thank you so much for joining me today it's been thank you for having me absolutely lovely talking through your life um well i hope you found some benefit in just chatting and getting it off your chest and absolutely um, i enjoyed it very much i'm so sorry we didn't have chance to talk more about the sub-zero game show because that sounds amazing maybe we can do a whole episode on that (laughs) sounds like you'd need it (laughs) I think we would. I still can't remember the rules. It was so complicated. <laughs> Do you know what? It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, if we've awoken any unsettling memories or anything that you want to offload a bit more, you've got my details away from the mic. Feel free to use them uh, whenever. You're more than welcome. And to those of you out there listening, first off, thank you. And second, at Richard Sefton 3 is my Twitter handle, should you need or want to get involved. Or if you need someone to talk to about anything else, 116-123 is the Samaritans. I will look forward to our next cuppa together. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. <laughs>